Addison, you're enough. You're doing enough. You already are enough. You don't need to do or be anything to reach enoughness. You already are. I'm Rachel and I'm Marcela and you're listening to the Parenting with Understanding podcast. We are parenting coaches who have helped millions of parents like you all over the world go from feeling isolated and hopeless, unable to break the cycle of permissive or punitive parenting to feeling confident in parenthood and connected to their children's needs. Hello, everybody. I am here by myself today. I am so excited because we're actually going to be doing a live coaching with one of our HIC cycle breakers, Addison Smith, who happens to be a mom with autism. She was recently diagnosed. So we're going to be talking to her about how autism has affected parenthood. And we're going to be coaching through specifically a scenario with her two-year-old son that she had posted in our HIC cycle breaker community asking for advice on. So if you like this type of podcast episode where we're actually doing the nitty gritty coaching behind the scenes, let us know in the comments because we'll bring it back. We'll, we'll continue coaching more people each month if you guys like this. It's something new we're trying out. Now, another thing I want to tell you guys is that this week only, we have a very special discount on the Parenting with Understanding program. Now, for those of you that might not be familiar with what the Parenting with Understanding program is, it is a child-centric program that Marcella Collier created to help parents unveil their child's needs, to know how to settle children down from those behaviors, and to educate children on positive behaviors. So if that is something that you know that you absolutely need in your parenting, I want to encourage you to open up the description and click on the link for the Parenting with Understanding program so you can read a little bit more about it, hear from Marcella what the program entails, and get it for a very special price. The other thing I will tell you is that in January, the program is changing. We are actually merging the Parenting with Understanding program with a new program that is going to be parent-centric. And there's going to be um, about a 12-week process that we will take parents through to help them understand themselves, their nervous system, their attachment style, and things like that so that you have a fully comprehensive parenting program to help you not just with your children, but also with yourself. All right, so we're going to jump in. All right, so Addison, hi. I'm so glad that you're here with me today, and I'm really excited to talk about this. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I can use all the advice I can get, so. Well, I'm happy to be able to help in any way, shape, or form. Something that I wanted to start off by asking is just simply how autism has affected parenthood for you. And you said that this was a fairly new diagnosis. So maybe walk us through briefly about what that's been like being diagnosed later in life. So first, um, how, has, how has it been being diagnosed with autism later in life? So being diagnosed with autism, I've, I've actually struggled with mental illness since a very young age um, and just really struggled all growing up, going to school, interacting with other kids. Um, and so just this past year, um, I was actually diagnosed with autism. I'm 24 years old. Um, and so a little bit later in life, but that's actually pretty common for females. And it's been an extremely eye-opening experience. It's let me gain a whole new relationship with myself, with my husband, and with 
my little guy um, that I never knew I could have. And um, it manifested itself, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, in a very um, different way, I actually ended up having an emergency C-section with my little guy. And um, it kind of really shook. A lot of people with autism have a really hard time with change. And so, you know, obviously becoming a a new mom, um, that's already a big change in and of itself. But when you add on to the sensory overload from being cut open and having that area be super sensitive and having to have bandages on and having to have all these different things, it kind of really shook me. And I started having feelings I've never had before, um, like anger, and it was more than just the postpartum hormones. It was it was my autism, and so for me, growing up, I really feel other people's auras. I feel when they're happy. I feel when they're sad. I get compliments all the time on my parenting. I get told you're so intuitive. It's like you know what he needs before he even says. Um, he didn't cry very much as a baby when he'd start to. I could I could just feel what he needed. Um, but with other people, it's a, it's more challenging for me because a lot of the time I can't place that feeling. And so my brain with my autism, I, communication is extremely important to me. Um, and, and having verbal words, um, to know how someone is doing. And a lot of the time I can place that, but sometimes if I can't, or if something's open-ended, my brain has a tendency to to maybe take things in a different way or take it personally. Uh, and so communication is, is extremely important for me. And coming from an area where I've been able to really have this great way of communicating with my child and feeling his needs and being able to respond to coming to a place where he is um, doing things that I am not used to and I'm um, trying to respond with the best of my abilities, um, is, it has been really difficult. And, uh, something that's extremely important for me is especially growing up, um, in a home that didn't necessarily believe in mental illness, um, and believe in bullying and things like that, um, is, is really making sure I'm listening to my child and their needs and what they're going through. And so, it's been hard though, not not knowing how to address it, and uh, the autism does have a tendency to make me get overstimulated or oversensory, just really really easily. And so, you know, when I have him crying and then climbing all over me and maybe wanting to nurse, or and then the dogs barking, it's just complete sensory overload and. Um, it's, it's really difficult not to just shut down and want to just like curl up in a ball, close out the world. But I know that I can't do that. Um, and so unless somebody else is there and I can take a break and it's safe. And a lot of the time I'm by myself with him and the dogs. And so, um, and there's a lot of new stressors. We're in a new environment. We're with new animals. We're with, we're around new people. Um, because we're we just moved in with my parents and uh and he's coming up on being two in January and we're gonna be hopefully ending nursing soon. So there's just a lot of changes that are coming and already have happened. So Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and with all of that come triggers for him as well, you know? And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to coach through this today. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell our listeners a little recap of what you shared in the group specifically, just some of the, the highlighted things. So like you said, you have an almost two year old son and lately he has been hitting, hitting you, hitting the dog that is at your parents' house. So it's not your dog, not your house, but he's been throwing things, pulling hair. Um, You guys have tried redirecting. You've tried ignoring. You've tried talking through it. You've tried telling him that it hurts. And a couple of things that you said in your post that, especially in the reply, whenever we were talking back and forth, there were two things that really stood out to me. Number one was I sometimes feel like you, this was you saying this. Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough because he clearly needs something, but I'm not understanding or achieving that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not getting to a certain place that I feel like I'm supposed to be at. Right. Does that feel true for you right now? Just as it did the day that you commented that. Yeah. I, I feel like we've had a little bit more moments of success, but it's taken me be completely focused on him 100% of the time to get there. And that's just not very feasible for me right. to maintain yeah. the long run. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was I do so much research that I didn't think that I would ever need to get to the place where I was asking for advice. And so I can tell that you really value Number one, parenting. You really value and take this very seriously. And you value research and you value value knowledge and understanding. And so it was kind of creating the same narrative of, I should be able to figure this out on my own and I don't know how to figure this out. Does that feel true for you? Yeah, I mean, figure it out on my own with Google, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, yeah, I mean, and I just felt like I have followed everything that felt, I don't know if humane is the right word, but felt kind. Um, I mean, I had shown him how to be soft with his hands and he has for, I mean, he's been around dogs since he was born. He has been soft up to this point. And even when he pet them, he'd say soft and every once in a while he'd be hard and we just say be soft and he'd do it. And so this kind of shift of like hitting the dogs and I can tell he's liking the reaction he's getting from the dogs and from, and and so it's just, it's a lot. And, and he's always been someone who really enjoys noise, um, and (laughs) chaos. Um, and so I think he just is liking the response from the dogs and, and it's been a huge eye opener for me as well. You, I watched you on TikTok one time and you said like, they don't, like they're not doing this because they're like I'm trying to be mean or I like hurting like causing you pain they don't they they don't have the developmental to be like that they are doing it because they like the reaction not they don't they're not doing it to actually like be like mean and that was important for me to hear because sometimes they smirk after they do something and you're like oh my gosh why are you doing that 
Right, I know. And then sometimes even in that, our brains can tend to, it's called catastrophizing. Like we see a child hurting an animal and we might think something as far as, oh my gosh, are you going to be a serial killer someday? Because it all starts somewhere, you know, because we might've heard someone say that, or we might've even heard a psychiatrist or psychologist talk about that. Um, and then we see that behavior in our children and it just like wells up, you know, all of these emotions and thoughts and beliefs and mindsets. And then we react out of that place. So that is, that's really good context. And I, I want to tell our listeners that this process of coaching, sometimes it can take 10 or 15 minutes. It can take 30 minutes. It can take 45 minutes. And I'm just going to kind of navigate this water, these waters with you and um, see where we land and how quickly we get there, but I'm not going to rush it. A lot of our podcast episodes are a little bit shorter, but this one, we really want to dive a little bit deeper into the meat and potatoes of parenting. And um, so I, I'm going to ask just a series of questions and, and just kind of help you navigate what's going on for you first um, we will explore your son's experience. Do you mind me asking what his name is? Are you comfortable sharing his name? Yeah, I am. His name's Hugo. Hugo, how cute. Okay, so Hugo is how many months old? You said almost He'll two. He'll be two but... in January, so he's like 22. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's go to that moment, because right now the, the biggest trigger for you, it sounds like, is when he goes and he pulls the dog's hair or the dog's ears or hurts the dog at your parents' house. It's not your dog. It's not your house. And the dog yelps in pain. I want to know for you, what do you feel? We're going to dive into the feelings in your body first. Yeah. um, I guess for me... It it started with concern for uh, the dog's safety. And okay, let's dive a little bit deeper. What's the what's a deeper emotion underneath the concern? I think I'm I'm worried, and especially like if I'm not in the room, that maybe something would happen. Um, it, it, with our dog, he he would do this with her, and she would never like turn back to bite or and herself um but I was always worried that I could progress to that and then when we moved into my parents home their dogs do do that they will bite and um so it's it's a concern to me that I mean all it takes is five seconds of me not looking and he's been bit and 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 navigating that because, you know, mama bear comes out and you want to be angry at the dogs, but then you're frustrated that your kid did that in the first place because you know he's the one that caused it. Um, but then you're like angry at the dogs for hurting your precious baby. And so I just really worry, a constant anxiety of just like all it takes is me not paying attention for five seconds and he could have his face bitten or something could go wrong. And, and my dog is protective of him. So I know that if that did happen, she might get involved and then there could be a full blown fight. And he, and so it's just, it get they're all around. It's just a lot of anxiety and frustration that I can't somehow, why am I not getting to him? What's changed? Um, 
and feeling like I, 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 maybe I did something wrong because this is coming out of nowhere. So here is what I hear going on. There's concern, there's worry, but there's also, there's concern, worry, and anxiety. And I think those are kind of like at the, they're, they're more towards the surface. But underneath that is also the, the frustration and the anger that you feel frustration toward the dogs, but also frustration toward your son and yourself, maybe more so yourself. And you said, all it takes is five seconds. Yeah. And I, there, there's something that's interesting about that to me. I am, I'm going to make a guess here, but that sounds to me like you might be putting the pressure on yourself to be paying attention to him every single second of the day. Because if you have the thought of all it takes is five seconds, if I'm not watching him every single second of the day, then like, what if something happens and then like the dog could bite him and then our dog could fight and then it could, right? So there's, there's the catastrophizing narrative that we tend to get into. And when you get into that headspace, how do you show up? in that moment. Full of anxiety. I'm not sure. Full of anxiety. Yeah. And I, yeah. Me too. I'm actually somebody who trains dogs. That's part of what I do for a living. And so it's been, you know, I have a lot of experience with dog behavior. And so I think that's the other part of me that's like, what is happening? I've gone to families' homes and helped them work through this and I can't work it out on my own. And so I'm just, and then I will, and I should also say, I have a lot of outside pressure as well, um, living with family um, for things to change. And we just need to pay more attention and little sayings here and there. And I know that they mean well. well and I agree. Um, and so it's just a lot. There's a lot of inside voices and there's a lot of outside voices. So yeah, it does, it does kind of how I do kind of have this constant I mean on top of already being a very anxious person I do have this added anxiety because I'm concerned for him yeah and that's that's what I'm feeling is that whenever you said all it takes is five seconds but then you also said why am I not getting to him or maybe I did something Mm -hmm. maybe I did something that that caused this and then I just heard you say I can help other families but I can't seem to help my own and there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in that where it's like, um, I'm hearing a lot of pressure to perform. Do you feel like that's true? Like pressure to meet a standard, pressure to meet an expectation, to do things well, to like, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yes. Pretty much thumbs up my life. <laughs> okay. Well, and that leads me to my next question. Do, do you remember feeling like that a lot in your childhood? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so let's go, let's kind of touch there for a second. If we were to go back and look at little inner Addison in those moments where she's trying so hard, you know, what would happen in your childhood if you didn't um, meet the expectation? or you didn't do things to the best of your ability, or, yeah. And maybe this is just because of the autism, but I just internalize, like, extreme disappointment um, from my parents. And I don't, like, I, 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 to be honest, I don't have a very great memory, but 
I don't remember my parents ever being like, we're so disappointed in you or anything like that. But for me, it was if I didn't do what they asked, it would be catastrophic. And it's not because they like beat me or anything like that. It's just in my brain. What did they do? It doesn't have to come through physical or even verbal it doesn't have to, and and I want to preface this by saying too, like our heart in this is to do two things, to honor the people who raised you, because I can tell that those were loving people, but to also honor your experience of the way that they raised you simultaneously. And there can be two truths that coexist, that you had very loving parents who raised you with the best of their ability, with the tools that they had. And some of those tools were not meeting some of the needs that you had. And that's okay, right? Yeah. So I, I want to preface that by saying, like, we're not going to sit here and talk trash on your parents, okay? Like, our heart in this is just to um, to really validate your experience and to explore your experience. Okay. Um, I feel like... Um, I was maybe pushed more than I could complete, if that makes sense. Maybe ignored a little bit. Okay. So you remember feeling like pushed hard to accomplish things. Yeah. And feeling like this isn't something that I can do or I understand and feeling like that, that feeling wasn't validated. It was kind of like ignored. So my dad, my dad would try to explain it in all the ways that he knew how. And, and when my brain just didn't understand it, he, he would say, like, you're not listening. And for me, it was like, I am listening to the best of my ability. And so, um, and same with, like, how I would exercise or how I'd want to be. Like, my mom was very much like, we, we, want it, we want you to do sports. We want you to be good at them. And I got bullied really easily for being different. And... um and I just didn't, and I hated school and it was just really confusing to my parents. And so, um, a lot of the time when I tell them things that were happening, they'd be like, Addie, I don't really think that's true. And for me with autism and with a lot of people, they have very vivid imaginations, um, and, and maybe even relate to other, um, I say other worlds, but like, uh, like cartoons or like Disney or they relate to those things better because that's where it would make more sense if they were in that than in this world. And so when I would say like different things like about, oh, my teacher, something crazy happened. My mom would be like, Addie, is that a truth or are you telling the truth or are, is this just a story? And she wouldn't let me continue until I would tell her if it was a story or a truth, but a lot of the time my brain couldn't separate the two. And so there was just a lot of invalidation, I feel like. Um, and, uh, but they did try the best. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing a connection here where when you felt like you couldn't do things in your childhood, or you felt like you didn't understand and you couldn't figure it out, and then you were told, you are not listening. You're not paying attention. If you're, I'm trying to explain it in all the ways. Essentially, probably unintentionally, your dad made you responsible for his inability to explain it in a way that you did understand. He pinned it back on you. And so now, when you get into a moment in adulthood and specifically in parenthood, 
where you feel like you can't do it and you don't understand what's going on, you tend to invalidate yourself and tell yourself that you're responsible for all of these things of figuring it out and you put this immense pressure on yourself in those moments to do all the things and like to meet all the expectations. Do you see that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. What does that realization feel like for you? Um, I mean, I feel like I already knew. Um, I've never had a therapist um, say like, oh, your dad could not meet how you needed to things to be explained. Like usually it's just me talking and them giving advice. <laughs> Um, and so it's, it's good to recognize like, okay, you know, where did this come from? And, uh, and I mean, I do, I constantly feel like I'm not enough. Like I'm not doing enough that I'm not in anything I do. Even when I like make food, I'm like, this is not good enough. And so, yes. And I, the thing is, is I don't want that to rub off on Hugo either. I don't want him to ever feel that way. And so I'm feeling that way. How can I not, how can I? that he's not feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, I think it's important for us to explore what his experience might be as well. But I, I want to tie up the loose ends here and say that like you, you named your need in childhood. You simply needed to be validated and you needed someone to take that. You needed your dad in that moment to, instead of putting the responsibility on you to figure it out or to listen or pay better attention or whatever, to say, okay, I'm, I'm really trying to explain this in every way that I can. Um, and I don't really know how else to say it. Can we try to figure out, like, let's work with, let's work in this together rather than saying, well, Addie, you're the problem. Right. And I think that he that wasn't his intention, but that's essentially how you internalized those moments. And you're still doing the same thing in parenting to yourself now. Now you're his voice became your inner voice. And now when you get in those moments where you feel like you can't or you don't understand or like things, the expectation isn't being met, you're still telling yourself what is wrong with you? Why can't you figure this out? This is your responsibility. You're not meeting expectations, right? So let's go back to little Addie. And in those moments, if you were to intervene in your own mind and you were to tell little Addison what she needed to hear in those moments, what would that sound like? I'd probably rub my back <laughs> and I'd probably say, it's okay. It's going to work out. And yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I, I would want to say that and that would be comforting. I do know that when my parents tried to find outside resources, um, like at school or it just was the same thing. Just like they couldn't help me. The doctors didn't know what they were doing. Um, we lived in a very small town and it was just like, it was really hard. And I had several like bad experiences with different teachers and with different church leaders and other students that I just for being different and and a lot of times it was met of just like you're weird or you don't she doesn't understand or I just don't like her I actually had a teacher say that once in the when we did a parent teacher conference the principal was there and they were all talking about how can we help Addison be better 
And one of the teachers was like, I don't want her in my class anymore. And they were like, why? And then she, she just responded, well, I just don't like her. And I was right there. And so was my mom. And they didn't even say anything. They were just like, okay. Like, the teacher wasn't like said, hey, that's not appropriate to say, especially, you know, nope. It was just like, so it, it was just, that was a lot. It was more than just my parents. I felt like it, I got it in almost every aspect, even when they tried to find me help because we just, the resources weren't there. Yeah. So what did you, what did you need? I mean, I definitely, I needed the validation, but I needed the resources. I mean, even with the, I feel like even with the that they could have given me all the validation in the world, but I still wouldn't have been able to understand that without having the resources to be able to do that, you know, but I still wouldn't have been able to do it without the the tools. What I'm starting to hear now is, oh, the validation wouldn't have been enough. And and you're right in that there needs, there still needs to be resources and solutions. There does. Absolutely. But the validation piece, we can't discredit that because it's not the lack of resources that's showing up as your inner voice and in parenting moments right now. It's the lack of validation that's showing up. That's what's showing up first for you. So I want to encourage you to go back to that place and really dig a little deeper on what rather than I, I feel like the, um, you know, like it's all, it's going to be okay. That's, that's encouragement, but I don't know that that's validation. So what, what would validation, if little Addison got the validation that she needed, what would that sound like? Probably it's okay that you're different. You're still worthy of love just as much as anybody else. And that I can still do whatever I put my mind to. It just might look different than other kids. How does that feel to say? Hard because I feel like I don't believe it. <laughs> like I told, I mean, I just had this conversation with my mom last night. I just said, I can't, I can't. So I run a nonprofit and I just told them, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's just too hard. I can't, I don't get why my brain just can't push through things and not go to X, Y, and Z. And I just, I can't do this. And it, why is doing this so hard for me? And I'm just, I can't, I can't be what I want to be because of autism and because of mental illness. And my mom was like, Addie, you can, you can do, I see you do so much more than kids your age. And you have these, these differences and, and, and you're doing more than they are doing. And, and, and look at, look at that. And She's right, but I don't feel that way. Yeah, and that makes sense because it's what you needed in your childhood and you didn't get it in those moments. So it's a struggle to offer that to yourself right now. If I were to say to you, autism is your superpower, what does that feel like? My psychologist told me that. She said that I am one of the biggest empaths she's ever met and that 
that is probably why is because of my autism and that like that is how I can have such an amazing relationship with Hugo and a relationship she's never seen and how I can have these connections with animals and these connections with other people and but I don't feel that way (laughs) I I feel so limited um and how I can enjoy things. And I think it's part of it is I have to put so much work into the everyday things like getting up, getting dressed, trying to stay positive, trying to take care of my little guy, trying to do X, Y, and Z. Like I have so many steps I have to do to just function. And it's just it's really exhausting. And so sometimes it's just like, if I can hardly even like function and, and, and what function looks like to me might look like a lot different to other people. Um, it's just really hard. It's really hard. Um, cause I just don't, I don't feel that way. And I don't know how to make myself feel that way. I think maybe again, this is something in, in that I see this a lot a lot, a lot in coaching parents who have the same rooted beliefs in I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, I don't know enough, I don't have enough resources. The hanging on to this truth that it's like hard for harder for you and like the the mindset that like um but I really can't do this and I really don't understand this. Somehow that mindset is serving you. Somehow it's serving you and it's keeping you safe. Do you see that? It's keeping you, what I see is that it is potentially keeping you in this cycle of it's going to be harder for me. So like, it's just safer to stay in the, I can't do it. I don't understand than actually going through the process of doing the, the hard. Does that feel true for you? I guess for me. Um, because I feel like I do so much and I'm constantly working. I'm constantly trying to be better. And I feel like in a way I am trying to avoid this burnout that I've gotten over and over and over again in everything. I feel like I just have a really hard time completing things. Like I had a really hard time completing school. I had a extremely difficult time. Um, I've never been able to hold down a job because um, they said that it's the autism. Um, And I just feel like it will. And then I've gotten to the point several times where I just don't want to be here anymore. And so I'm trying to avoid those feelings or the actions. Um, And so I feel like maybe Part of the reason why I'm like, I just can't do this for, and I, I've never felt that way with Hugo, with raising Hugo. Um, I mean, I, I guess I have felt the way in the sense of like, I just don't want to mess him up. I don't want to, I've met so many kids my age, or adults my age, I guess I'm not a kid, um, that have said, oh, I'm not having kids because I don't want to give them X, Y, and Z. And I've always thought about that, and I'm like, well, I have X, Y, and Z, and and what, 
do I, I don't want a kid, my kids to go through what I've gone through. And, um, and then finding out that autism's hereditary, it's just made me question a lot of things because it's been really challenging for me. Um, but I also recognize that like, I can still create amazing lives and help create amazing lives um, for my kids and for myself. So I guess I don't, I don't feel like it's preventing me from doing the hard work. I feel like it's almost a way of me trying to save myself from this burnout that I've constantly experienced. Yeah. And that, again, I know I've said it a lot, but that makes sense. You make sense. You might not have heard that a lot in your life, but you do. You make sense for me. And being afraid of burnout and especially being afraid of like getting into a mindset where suicidal thoughts and or actions start to surface is scary. And if you know, if you have experienced both of those things, your brain keeps you encapsulated to keep you safe. It's always our number one need is safety. Yeah. And so what, what I see happening, though, is that you're doing, 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 doing all of the things from the internal narrative of, I can't do this. I don't understand. This is so much harder for me. I'm not resourced enough. So the doing, doing, doing the burnout and the suicidal thoughts come much easier with that narrative as the, the undercurrent, if you will. And so I, I want to know if you're willing to take a step because we're not going to, we're not going to get you from like this place right now in one coaching call. We're not going to go from, okay, now I fully believe in myself and I'll never doubt myself again. Right? Like that, that doesn't happen, but we can take a step towards that today. Are you willing to do that? Yeah, I am. I, I think you're right. I, I, I think I've, I've said this in therapy before, but I think I do everything out of fear. So, I mean, we're, we're at a good place now, but I really think I, I married, not I, when I wasn't afraid of him, let me make that clear. I was afraid of um, other things. So, Whenever you said, I do things out of fear, I can see your body language. I can see the emotions start to come up. What are you feeling in your body whenever you say that? Extremely <laughs> afraid. <laughs> okay. Okay. And afraid of what? The unknown. Okay. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And that, that all roots back to your need for control. And it's not like to the need to be in control, but being in control serves you. And right now that control looks like staying in the narrative of, I can't do this. I'm not enough. I don't understand. I'm not resourced. And it's almost a way that your brain is is saying, like, let's just keep you in this limited belief place because this keeps you safe from exploring the unknown because the unknown is just way too scary. Yeah, I think it's also like, let's keep you so you don't get bold, so you don't judge, so you don't get burnt out, so you don't get... Because like, there's been several things that I've been really good at that I have not pursued because I was too afraid that I was going to get bullied. 
or like not gone to a party or not gone to do X, Y, and Z or not gone on a date because I was afraid I was going to get bullied or that X, Y, and Z wouldn't work out. And again, I see that making so much sense because when you were bullied in childhood, there was a lack of safety from the people that should have helped you create an environment of safety. There was a lack of belief and validation. Yeah. And again, like I, I always want to be so careful to honor the parents because I know that they had good intentions, but they just didn't know how to recognize your needs. But now you're 24 years old and you're here and you're present with yourself right now. And you do recognize that there is a need for validation and there is a need for safety. And what I'm seeing is that you have almost sought validation and safety from external resources your whole life. And I think the shift today needs to be that you seek the validation and the safety from inside here, inside yourself, inside your heart, your own mind that you create the safety and you create the validation first before anybody else can offer that to you. Because what if you can't control whether people judge you? No. You can't control whether or not people bully you. You can stand up for yourself and you can say, oh, I know what's true about me. I know what's true. You know, you can stand and that's what we want to do is we want to take, you said that you're a visual person, right? You love envisioning things. So I want you to imagine wearing something that is not serving you. Like maybe it's in layers. Maybe you have lots and lots and lots of layers of clothes on you that are not serving you. Or maybe it's a cloak that's just draped over your shoulders and You keep putting it on yourself, but then you're, maybe you're ready to take it off. Or maybe you're just ready to remove one layer of what's not serving you. Do you, can you vision, envision that? And what does it look like? Yeah, I was just thinking clothes in general. Uh, I just get so overstimulated by clothing. I could just take. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But no, anything that's like super itchy or has tags, I guess really bugging. Okay, so imagine you are wearing the itchiest sweater that has like 500 tags inside of it. And you're just going to remove that, but you're going to put on something that's really cozy. Is there like a certain material that you absolutely love? Mm, Not material, but I can think of some, some shirts that I like. Okay, okay. So... Think of one of those shirts that you absolutely love. But this is Addison's inner safety. Addison's inner validation shirt. And that shirt speaks to you all day long when you have it on. What does it say? It's saying clothes drive me nuts. <laughs> okay. So maybe like if it's if it's clothes, even if it's not something that is tangible like that. Um, I'm thinking if maybe you need another analogy. The the analogy of like the really like your comfiest shirt still feels uncomfortable. 
Yeah, because I just, I really, I tolerate clothes. That's about it. <laughs> okay, okay. But I like hugs. Mm -hmm. Only from certain people. Okay. I like blankets. Okay. So let's imagine that you're removing all of the itchy, tag-filled clothes. Okay. And you're wrapping up instead in, like, your comfiest blanket that feels like a hug. Okay. And that is your inner validation, inner safety hug. And it has a voice. And all day long, it's telling you things that are true about you. What does it say? That I am kind and that I try really hard to show others love and take care of Hugo and to be here for him and that I, I, I genuinely try my best. And that I am worthy of love to myself. Yes. I don't know about from others, but to myself. I'm going to repeat that back to you. So I want you to do the same thing you were just doing. Close your eyes and envision that blanket. And I'm going to say it to you. Addison, you are kind. I see your efforts. All of them. I see your efforts. To show others love. I see your efforts to love Hugo. I see your efforts to do all of the things. And you are worthy of love. Addison, you're worthy of inner safety. You're worthy of validation. Addison, you're enough. You're doing enough. You already are enough. You don't need to do or be anything to reach enoughness. You already are. If you let yourself sit there in that, what does that feel like? I feel like for a brief second, I can breathe. Okay. That's that one step. And do you realize that we haven't even touched on anything re regarding Hugo. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. And we can, we can go through that quickly too, because part of this process is talking about solutions because you do need some more resources for that too. But what's happening right now, and I, I just want to recap that when Hugo is pulling the dog's hair, it's not your dog, it's not your home. And all of these thoughts, like, all oh, it takes is five seconds. And like, why am I not able to get through to him? And maybe I did something. And all of this is going on. You're showing up in that moment with anxiety. You're showing up in that moment afraid and full of fear. And not just fear about what could happen to Hugo, but fear about not being enough and not doing enough and not being well-resourced and all of this stuff. And so it's affecting the way that you show up in that moment. And if we were to imagine what that might feel like for Hugo, if children are very empathetic and they are, if Hugo were to feel your energy in that moment, what do you think that's like for him? Maybe overwhelming. Overwhelming. Do you think Hugo could potentially feel some of the same things that you did in those moments in childhood? I feel like I work really hard in validating him. 
and why he's doing certain things. But I definitely feel like when I do that, I still have all the anxiety in the world in myself. But that's been something I've really worked on since he was born, was validating his needs and his wants and his what he's going through and not telling him how to be, but trying to make him thrive. Yeah, and just be comfortable showing up the way that he shows up and being understood. Yeah. And hit the nail on the head because you said, I'm, I'm giving him the validation, but I'm doing it from the place of fearful, anxious energy. Yeah. So do you think it would be better for Hugo if you showed up in your safety, inner, inner security, inner safety, inner validation blanket moment where you have a, okay, I can breathe a little bit. And then you meet him in that moment. So how do you show up in the moments? If you, if you were to show up in your safety, in your cozy blanket, how would you show up differently than the way you have? Maybe less anxious to just fix what's happening and more present and just like, how can we move forward in this instead of how can we fix this right now? Yes. So the interesting thing about fixing is that is a fawn response in the nervous system. So they, the, the nervous system responses are fight, flight, freeze, and now they've added on to that fawn. And when we are in our fawn response, we are trying to fix, we're trying to change, we're trying to do all of that stuff. And when we do that, like, have you ever had a moment where someone tries to fix you in the moment and... I guess, honestly, the moment that you mentioned with your dad, like, well, you're the problem. Like, if you would just pay attention or you would just listen, then this would fix the problem, right? Your dad was in his fawn response when he couldn't get through to you and get you to understand him. So how might Hugo feel when you're showing up with fixer energy? Probably, like, I mean, I feel like a lot of the time when I'm, like, trying to fix things, he, like, does even like he acts out even more um like he's like sorry <laughs> like I'll show you kind of like yeah like he wants to show me I can do this and I I can do this and this and watch how watch me mom and you have no power and <laughs> um so I guess for me I guess if I am showing up and I'm being present and that's what I feel like I've tried to do for the past couple of days since we t- since you messaged me. Um, I've been just really trying to, to do everything I can to figure it out on my own. And but then I'm realizing I'm giving a hundred percent of myself all the time, and kind of like we talked about, that's not sustainable. And so, how can I show up and be calm and move forward and not fix, but also not be giving that hundred percent of the time when it might not be safe for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So what he is probably experiencing in that moment is like, if you're trying to fix someone, you're essentially to a, especially to a 22 month old, that's going to feel like control and developmentally 22 months into like the two year, like they, whenever they get close to that two year mark, you're going to start seeing in some children, some of those developmental milestones coming out. Well, 
24 through like two to three years, this is where you really start seeing them move into their, I call it radical independence, radical autonomy. Like they need all the freedom in the world and they want to feel powerful and they want to feel like they're in control. And the thing is, is that is innate in all of us, right? But what's happening is that he wants to be in control in the moment and you want to be in control in the moment. So you're trying to fix him and he's like, I don't want to be fixed. I want to do the thing that I was just doing. So I'm going to go do the thing I was just doing. And then that makes you want to fix even more. And we get into a power struggle, right? We get even more into our anxious mom energy. Yeah. And he's like, mom's just trying to control me, right? So instead of stopping his behavior in that moment, we actually want to help correct the behavior long-term, right? And we do that by number one, understanding what his need is, okay? So his need right here is for freedom. He wants control. He wants some choices and probably a little bit for fun too. You hit the nail on the head when you were saying, I feel like maybe he just needs to go out and play. He wants to actually tug on something and he, he, you're probably right that he does think that the response like the from the dog is a little bit, I mean, it's like, oh wow, I just did something that made a noise come out of a dog. And I don't know that that noise is connected to pain because I don't have, I don't have the cognitive abilities to understand empathetically yet. That empathy hasn't even begun to develop and it's not going to until at least four years. It could be all the way up to like six years. And that's just when it begins to develop. And it's not even fully developed until like late teens, mid twenties. Like, okay. So it's going to be a long time before he fully understands that. Okay. But what's going on for him right now is that he's looking at a dog making noise as a result of his action as, oh, wow, I was able to control something that I didn't know I could control. Okay. So we want to give him the same control in a healthy alternative. So if you were to do that, if you were to meet his need for control and fun simultaneously, what do you have a toy in your home that makes a noise when he pushes a button or pulls on a string or does something like that, you know, or could you play a game with him where you, yeah, like if you were to get creative in your mind, what would that look like? So do is it appropriate? Is it not appropriate to like, so before he's taken a bat to like, I just a plastic bat to like plants and to things. And I'm like, okay, if you need to hit something, here's a pillow. Is it not appropriate to give them like items of the house? Should it be limited to toys so that they don't be destructive towards things? Of the house? No, I mean, he's going to grow out of like, there, there are parents that say, oh my gosh, if I teach them to hit a pillow, they're going to think it's okay to hit, to hit when they're angry. Well, and hitting an inanimate object versus a, an animate object or a living thing or being is very different. And there are some times that I still need to go hit a pillow, you know, like, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like sometimes I just need to go hit a pillow and that's yeah. okay. That can be healthy aggression. Now, if I'm going to go hit my child or my husband, that's not healthy aggression, right? So I think it's fine to teach him, you know, okay, we're not going to hit the plants. And you could even teach him the plant is living and it's alive. And, you know, like here, let's, let's dig and let's find a root. This means that it's like life. It's like the veins in your body, you know, and this, these are things that are, 
that might be a little more advanced than a 22 month old, but showing him what is living and what isn't, that's a concept that he can grasp at least. And so, yeah, I think it's fine to have him hit a pillow or, you know, like if he wants to squeeze something, show him, okay, here's a, here's a stress ball, you know, or a a slime ball or whatever it is that like fidget toys that he could squeeze on. I, I, I thought, I thought of a lot of different things that he could do that toys I could just make around the home if he's wanting to pull or squeeze something. Um, so is the goal to, when he is, when he goes to do something with the dogs or I kind of see him eyeing the dogs, because you can tell he gets a look on his yeah. yeah. Do I just be like, hey, let's go play with this instead. And then eventually is the goal when he starts to think that way that he cognitively is like, okay, I can go play with my toys instead of doing this with the dogs. Yes. So essentially in, um, in module two of the parenting with understanding program, Marcella talks about behavior levels and defiance or defensiveness. So you're seeing that, that look of like, I'm going to do it anyway. Don't touch that. I'm going to touch it anyway. That's there. That's level three. And that's where most parents recognize misbehavior. They, it's like a lot of us don't know to recognize the warning signs before then, but there's a trigger And then there is level two anxiety and a trigger. The interesting thing is at the very beginning of the call, you mentioned we recently moved in with my parents. So this is a new dog to him. He's in a new environment and that is a triggering event. Any big life change is a triggering event for a child. And so there could just be like this inner anxiety and kind of turmoil going on for him most of the time. So that inner turmoil and um, anxiety for him could be coming out in like, "Mm, I'm going to go over there and like, because part of like what helps us with anxiety is feeling in control. And you know that feeling, right? So he's not experiencing anxiety in the way that you have in your life. And I want to make sure and validate you here in this, that anxiety is a very normal part of human behavior. It is not something that you've caused or that you are in control of necessarily. He's just going to experience some anxiety when he feels triggered. And so we want to help him feel comfortable in the environment that he's in. Um, You can teach him like one thing that I would would highly suggest to do is if he does um, pull on the dog's ears or the dog's hair or hurt the dog and the dog yelps, instead of trying to correct his behavior in the moment, show empathy to the dog instead. Oh my goodness. You know, Fluffy, I don't know the name of the dog, but like, oh my goodness, are you hurt? Oh, that must have hurt so bad. I'm so sorry. And like, if it's a small dog, pick it up and give it kisses and show empathy because that to a 22 month old, they understand emotion and body language more than they understand logic and reasoning. So if you're in that moment with him and he's like, he sees you show empathy, he's going to think, Oh, okay. That's how I should act. Now it is possible that he may go over there and pull the dog's hair and wait for the reaction and then show empathy because he's like, this is what we do after they react. So then I would model very sweet behavior to the dog the majority of the time. Like anytime you see the dog, go up to the dog and say, oh, I'm going to pet you so gently, you know, and like model the behavior that you want your child to emulate. And then, yeah, if you see that, that moment where he like kind of gives the look, like I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to go over to the dog, 
you can say, oh, you need to pull on something or you need, you need to play and you need something, you need to be in control right now. So let's give you something that you can have some control and you meet the need. And then with, with at 22 months, the correcting behavior is really going to come more through the modeling. Okay. So do you, do you, then should I not be like, you go, that wasn't very kind. Can you please don't do that anymore? The reason that, that I don't suggest doing that is because that feels to like, like a power struggle. Yes. It feels it's, it's called it's power over language. So there's, there's three different types of parenting. You've got power over parenting, which is trying to control or fix. Then you've got power under parenting, which is very like, ah, okay, like, whatever, you know, like, oh, we don't hit the, we don't hit the dog. Oh, you really want to hit the dog? Oh, like, it's very like permissive. Okay. But power over language can still sound kind, but still be controlling. So we don't, the, the phrases of like, we don't, or I won't let you, that phrase is actually not one. I used to recommend this because in my first TikTok videos, I saw that in a book and I was like, oh, this is great. But then I realized that it's it's correction before connection and children don't they don't respond well to that. They feel they need connection first and correction after and you can correct through connection. So it doesn't have to be like I'm going to connect and then I'm going to correct you, you know, I'm going to lay down the law. It can just be very much like oh, you have a need for this right now. But that, it's okay to say that hurts the dog. Oh, are you okay, puppy? Are you okay? That must have hurt is a way of teaching him that it hurt the dog. Or if you, if he hits you, ow, arm, are you okay? That hurt. Oh, are you okay? You know, at 22 months, he's going to, he's going to grasp what hitting hurts, right? Better by seeing someone model empathy than he will by someone telling him, hey, that hurts. Like he doesn't really understand what hurt is necessarily. So the language is just going to be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not grasping that you're trying to connect with me through logic and reasoning. And I'm speaking through body and emotion. So I really need you to communicate with me through body and emotion. If you want to correct me and Jedi mind trick me and not let me know that you're trying to modify my behavior. Right. Yeah. So. so is there appropriate time to start saying you go do you think that was very kind or you go that, that hurt the dog? Maybe we, we shouldn't do that. Or is that just never? So I, I feel like we have, there's a fine line with talking about what is kind and respectful. And there are conversations like I have that with my daughter right now. Like we're talking, um, one of the big things is that whenever we go into restaurants, I will have her look around if, if she, especially if she starts getting really loud, I'll say, okay, your four-year-old little body wants to be really, really loud right now. And there are certain environments where you can be that way, but this let's watch, let's look around and see what other people are doing. We're in a restaurant right now. This is not a place that we're loud. When we get in the car, we'll get a, we'll scream. Or when we get home, we can, you know, turn on some loud music and run around and be like, ah, so loud. But right here, right now, we have to do this, right? She's understanding, beginning to understand the concept of that and like looking around because she's four. So her empathy skills are starting to develop now. But 
but the conversation at 22 months about what's kind or what's respectful, it's the, you're, you're going to get through so much more if you model kindness and you model respect rather than telling, telling the child to be kind or be respectful. And like a good way of like, whenever they are kind saying, Oh, that was kind. That was kind. You were kind, you know? Um, but saying what is unkind, they don't, they just don't really grasp that, but they're going to know they are going to grasp your body language and your emotion. So modeling is a a much more effective tool. Okay. Um, and do you think that, uh, sorry, let me gather my train of thought. Oh, so in the beginning, obviously this is going to take a good, I mean, he's going at the dogs pretty often. So this is going to take a lot of, for the first little while, a lot of my time and that's fine. Um, how long, and I know it's probably different with every child, but how long does it usually take for them to start to understand and maybe start to be like, okay, if I want to pull on something, I can go pull on this toy instead of the dog's tail. I, I'm curious about the thought process that's leading you to ask the question. I, the same one of just like, how do I not give a hundred percent of my time to have my eyes constantly on him? Okay. Cause that's, I'm hearing an underlying story and I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm, I'm assuming that it's coming from like, I will feel better about myself when his behaviors are different. I feel like it's, I mean, yes, because my parents are, <laughs> but I feel like the majority of where uh-huh. it's coming from is just like that, that same five seconds, that yeah. anxiousness of like, if I am not constantly watching him, he could get really hurt. That's where those are the moments where you don't need to worry about how long it's going to take his behavior to change. Those are the moments you need to put on your cozy blanket. And I know that that feels right now like that's, but that doesn't, that doesn't fix the issue that you're in your fixer energy and you've got to get out of the fixer energy and into connection energy. And you can only get into actual safe connection when you are safely connected to yourself. I'm going to give you, um, we're going to tie it up with this. I'm going to give you an acronym that I want to encourage you to use in those moments where you are feeling like it only takes five seconds. Okay. The truth of the matter is that you are never going to be able to watch him 24 seven. It's just not going to happen. Right. And that will create some fear and some anxiety and maybe some triggers. And so you have to trust that the amount of time that you are able to watch him is enough. It's enough to be there and to be present and to, to know that like, if you walk out of the room and you walk back, there's, there's so many things. If we let ourselves go down that, that road, it just creates so much turmoil. So I want to encourage you. I know that you want an answer on like, but when, when will this change? Right. But it will change when like it, he's going to, his behavior is going to modify. It's going to, he's going to grow up and he's going to grow out of certain things. And like, gosh, I mean, in, in a year, probably two, for sure, you're not going to have the issue of him going over and pulling on the dog's hair. You're going to have different issues. 
They're going to be just, they're just going to be newer and different issues that create the same feelings. And so you have to learn to get very consistent about putting on your cozy blanket, putting on your cozy blanket, putting on your cozy blanket and showing up with connection. And I want to give you a, an acronym called anchor to do that. Okay. So this is an acronym. So A stands for aware of what's happening in your body. You can say to yourself, oh, okay, I am feeling really anxious. I feel anxious in my body. And one thing that I didn't ask you about that um, I'm realizing now is that anxiousness may show up with like a tight chest. It may show up with like your whole body tensing. It may show up when you completely breathing. It could show up in anger. It could show up in all these different ways. So the N stands for naming what's happening in your body. So you're aware of it first and then you name it. I feel anxious and my entire body feels tense and tight right now. And I feel tense and tight because I am witnessing something that makes me feel really scared and I'm in my inner judgment. And so you connect to your sensory calming tool. That's C. C is connecting to sensory calming tool. And for you, I want to encourage you to let that be your cozy blanket. If you, um, you, you actually may need an actual, I, I would actually encourage you because you have sensory needs and tend to be a sensory avoider. I would encourage you to find the cozy blanket that in your home, like that you actually do love and physically put it around you if you're able to, to get it. Yeah, I have one. If that doesn't work, you can you can do other things like some some options for you and the listeners are like deep breaths um, or like dragon breaths. For me, my nervous system response is to fight, so I actually need the my feelings to come out aggressively, but it needs to be healthy. So like I'll do push ups or I'll do dragon breaths, which are just a very exertive breath, like I'm breathing fire, um, and I actually. I, I picture myself getting that ball of fire that gets in my chest where I'm like so hot that I just want to explode. I picture myself blowing that out like a dragon and it helps tremendously. For you, it may be to go more internal and to just like get grounded and to literally like where my feet on the ground right now. What do my shoes feel like? What do my socks feel like? What do my, what does the ground feel like against my feet? What does the air feel like in the room? What are the things that I can see? What are the things I can hear? What, what can I taste in my mouth? Like all of that kind of stuff, like literally grounding yourself and then showing up by, um, H honor the process. So H is, um, honoring the process of calming your nervous system. We want to get your nervous system back into that state of like connectedness rather than anxiety. Because when you show up to correct his behavior or, or to tell him like, oh, you can't do that or um, you try to fix him, that's only going to perpetuate the behavior and it's only going to keep you in anxiety. Okay. Um, O is open to connection. So now once you've honored the process for your own nervous system, you're going to open to connection with Hugo. And that's where you can go over and say, oh, I think you have a need for this right now. So let's go meet that need over here. 
And then you can model the empathy to the dog. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, puppy, did that happen to you? That must have hurt so bad. Okay, Hugo, let's go, let's go pull on something else because you need something to pull on right now. So let's go pull on this. And then you recommit to, to Hugo, and that's where you're actually going to find the, the alternative, like a redirect. But you're redirecting and you're connecting through safety. Through your inner safety, through your inner validation, you're ditching the beliefs, the itchy, scratchy, nasty, wool sweater beliefs of, I can't do this. I don't understand. I'm not resourced enough. I don't know enough. I'm not a good mom. I'm not showing up as a good enough mom, Like, right? We're ditching that itchy wool sweater and we're putting on the cozy, comfy blanket of, I am kind and I know how to show Hugo love. I know how to connect with him and I'm worthy of that connection and I'm worthy of love myself. I'm a good mom and I do know what to do. Okay. How do you feel walking away from this? I'm really excited. Um, I think that you've given me a lot of tools. Some of them are things that I've heard before and just, I guess, didn't know how to implement them in this scenario. I also feel really encouraged and. Uh, and like I can, I can do this. Um, so thank you. And I also want to say I've been following along with your podcast and am really looking forward to the coaching sessions that you were talking about because I think it'll be easier for me to connect with them and um, having ones that even are a little bit longer. Uh, so yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much. It really means a lot. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, if you got anything out of this coaching session, we would love for you to open up the comments and leave a review for us because it's really important for other parents to hear from you. And if you have any of our resources, meaning you have purchased any of our tools within HIC Parenting Education, you are also eligible to join our Facebook community, the HIC Cycle Breaker community. If you are not already following me or Marcella on social media, we want to invite you to plug into those free resources that we have available on TikTok and Instagram. Our handles are at the considerate mama and at high impact club. And don't forget, it only takes understanding to break your cycle. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.